Yeah. The Flathead Zone, the local sports talk show. The Knock on Sports. Six to eight weeknights. Only on 96.5 and 600 KGEZ. Here's your host, Anthony Knockreiner. Welcome back inside the Whitefish Credit Union studios and joining us right now on the Whitefish Credit Union hotline to talk all things NCAA basketball as we talk about the March Madness tournament. It is Greg Peterson from the Vegas Stats and Information Network as well as host of Hoopin' with Hoops podcast as he is the man, the authority, the man with the knowledge on all things college basketball. Greg, it is great to chat with you once again, man. Hope you are doing well. Great to be on with you, Anthony. Thank you. Well, uh, Greg, let's just start here, man. Let me get your thoughts on the first and second round of the NCAA tournament. A lot of surprises, uh, and I got to give you credit, man. You talked about it last week on this show. You talked like you, you liked Oral Roberts against Ohio State, and it happened. Uh, so, what did you take away from the first and second round? What I took away is that people are really sleeping on the depth of the Pac-12. Keep in mind, Oregon State, who has made this just Herculean 16, 16 run, in which they had to win the Pac-12 tournament just to be able to get into the NCAA tournament, well, they now find themselves in the round of 16. This after they wound up losing on their home floor to Portland and Wyoming in the year. So, talk about a team that has been able to transcend themselves, that is Oregon State. But, I mean, it's now happened each of the last two NCAA tournaments. The Pac-12 tournament winner, who winds up getting a 12 seed, has been able to make the Sweet 16. And perhaps we're just out here on the West Coast, East Coast, what have you, just as a nation, not looking at the Pac-12 with the regard that it deserves. Meanwhile, you see these conferences like the Big 12 and the Big 10. They get in all these teams, and once you know it, Michigan and Baylor are the only two that are remaining from there. Now, obviously, we didn't think that Oral Roberts was necessarily the most sexy pick to be able to knock off Ohio State, but that's one that wound up happening. You wound up having Illinois lose to the fighting sister genes of Loyal Chicago. And the biggest takeaway for me is that the evaluation process with these conferences just was not on point by the media at large. Yeah, I was going to say a lot of misses here. But at the same time, too, Greg, I want to get your thoughts on this. Because of what we've seen so far, and we've seen some upsets, we saw Abilene Christian knock off Texas. I know they're no longer in the tournament. Uh, but you talked about the depth in the Pac-12. Are we kind of missing here on the fact that college basketball is far deeper than just the Blue Bloods and, and the, you know, the usual suspects? Oh, I'm right there with you. And I think that COVID-19 was actually a little bit of an equalizer because a lot of these teams that they were built around freshmen, they were built around underclassmen and transfers, they just weren't able to come through. I mean, this is an NCAA tournament in which we didn't have Kentucky in there, we didn't have Duke in there, North Carolina got absolutely pummeled by Wisconsin, Kansas winds up following out to USC, and this year in college basketball, being old is good. I mean, I can even take a look at Oral Roberts. They were fourth in the Summit League this year. The Summit League with teams like South Dakota State, which South Dakota State, they themselves, if they would have been able to make the NCAA tournament, I felt like they could have been able to win a game. You even take a look at the big sky, Eastern Washington. They didn't pull it off against Kansas, but they had a halftime lead. They were playing very competitively in that game. And I take a look at it in general. We did see these mid-majors being able to even things out because they are built around freshmen, or they are built around upperclassmen. Meanwhile, these older teams, meanwhile, these teams that are out there in these Power 5 conferences, 
They are built a little bit more around freshmen, and that was to their detriment this year because you didn't have as much practice time. You didn't have as much lead-up. You had to try to train your players via Zoom, and that chemistry just was not there for these power conference teams. Greg, for you, which team do you feel like was the biggest disappointment through the first two rounds? Biggest disappointment, in my opinion, had to be Texas. I mean, you wind up losing to Abilene Christian, who wound up shooting 29.9% from the floor. It really looked like Shaka Smart was doing a great job of being able to turn things around out there in Austin. And then, boom, you just wind up having that happen to you. It's just absolutely terrible what wound up happening to Texas in that game. You figured that they'd be able to control the ball a little bit better. So, I mean, Texas, far and away for me, was the biggest disappointment. Though number two had to be Purdue. Losing in your home state to North Texas in the way that you did in overtime. That's not necessarily too great either. I know this isn't a surprise here, but I am curious, Greg. A lot of people talked about, wow, Loyola Chicago, they were way under-seeded uh, given that they were an eight seed and what they did to, number one, Illinois. Do you agree with that? Did the tournament committee really under-seed Loyola Chicago? I felt like Loyola Chicago should have been a six seed, so I certainly do think so. I mean, you take a look at BYU, I felt like they had no business being a six seed. Clemson, who was seeded ahead of Loyola Chicago as a seven they had no business being a seven seed. So I do think that there was a little bit of a issue with the way that the tournament was seeded. Now, Loyola Chicago, should they have been like a three seed like a lot of people were suggesting? Because Ken Pomeroy, who does his projections, had Loyola Chicago as a top ten team. I think that that's a little bit lofty because Loyola Chicago, they didn't necessarily have those big marquee wins or anything like that. But at the same time, having them as an eight seed, it was just a little bit unjust. I would have personally put them as a six. Greg Peterson joining us right now on the Whitefish Credit Union Hotline from the Vegas Stats and Information Network and host of the Hooping with Hoops podcast. Uh, Greg, now taking a look at the uh, Sweet 16 matchups here, the one that jumps off of me, you, you started with them as well, is Oregon State taking on Loyola Chicago. This is going to be a tough one for Wayne Tinkle and company, but uh, do you see this game being closer? Is Loyola Chicago's defense going to be too much? Well, out here in Vegas, the spread is seven, and I'm going to be taking the points with Oregon State. With Oregon State, this is a team that they do a tremendous job of being able to knock down their free throws. And what has been big for Oregon State is that it felt like earlier in the year, it was mainly just Jared Lucas along with Ethan Thompson out there in the backcourt, and you really didn't have much else. Now you've got Roman Silva who's able to step up. I mean, for goodness sakes, you've got Maurice Kalou who's able to hit threes for this team. And the overall balance and the bench production of Oregon State, I think, is going to be able to keep them at bay. And when you take a look at Loyola Chicago, it's hard for them to really break away from opponents because they play at the fifth slowest pace with regards to possessions per game in all of college basketball which means that they need to be more precise on every single possession in order to be able to get that big lead. I think that that's going to allow Oregon State to be able to hang in there. Do I think that they're going to be able to pull off the outright win and make the Elite Eight? No, but at the same time, I could see this being more like a five, six-point game with about a minute left to go. So I think that Oregon State has a good chance to be able to hang in there. Looking at another game that, uh, well, and I definitely missed because this South Bracket, Really tore me a new one. Uh, but Oral Roberts taking on Arkansas here. Can Oral Roberts keep the magic going? I do think that Oral Roberts is going to be able to hang in there with Arkansas. This is actually a rematch from the regular season. These two teams wound up hooking up in mid-December in a Budwell Arena. That's the home court of Arkansas. And 
in that game. Oral Roberts wound up being able to have a second-half lead in that game. They just weren't able to close the deal. And for Oral Roberts, this is a team that here in the NCAA tournament, they've done a good job of being able to turn over opponents. Against Florida, they were able to generate 20 turnovers in that game. They've also got the top-scoring duo in all of college basketball, Max Aismith, along Kevin O'Banner. They shoot as a collective over 82% at the free throw line. That is the top mark in all of college basketball. Now, Arkansas, they're going to have more depth outside of Aismith and O'Banner. You really don't have that number three option for Oral Roberts, but when you've got those two guys, when you've got a team of guys that just in general shoot well from the free throw line, and Oral Roberts, quite frankly, hasn't shot as well from three as they are capable of. In their first two games, they shot right around 30% from distance against Ohio State right around 33% against Florida. This is a team that has a collective for the season, shooting a little bit over 38%. So I do feel like they could be able to up that a little bit more, though Arkansas does have a solid defense. I think that Oral Roberts should be able to hang in there, keep this game within single digits. Do I ultimately think that they're going to be able to advance? No, I think that Arkansas' speed and overall athleticism will win out, but I think that this is going to be a close game. Greg, uh, looking at another matchup here, that one that's really intriguing to me, Syracuse and Houston. I don't get it. Syracuse, if they're a double-digit seed, they they exceed expectations. When they have expectations, it seems like they can't pull it together here. What do you think about that matchup between Houston and Syracuse? It's just so funny because every single year Syracuse enters the NCAA tournament as a double-digit seed, maybe they get in a little bit controversially. I felt like they deserved to be in the tournament, but I felt like they should have probably been playing in that first four. So I do feel like they got a little bit of a benefit there. But, I mean, it just feels like every single year they make a run. I mean, we all know what the zone defense is. It's about as old as the cotton gin and the original Gutenberg printing press, and yet every <laughs> single year there is no team in the NCAA tournament that can figure it out, even though in non-conference play teams like Bryant and Northeastern can. I mean, it's absolutely incredible, and yet I think that they've got a relatively decent job of being able to pass to the Elite Eight here against Houston, a team that has their backcourt banged up. Quentin Grimes wound up dealing with a little bit of an elbow injury towards the back half of their game against Rutgers, and you saw Jajan Giroux, their main facilitator. He was dealing with a bad injury to his side as well. And with Syracuse, Buddy Bayheim has really been able to take over 25-plus points at each of the team's last four games. I mean, it makes no sense as to why Syracuse looks so bad in the regular season. And then in March, it's as if you throw some pixie dust on there, and all of a sudden the zone becomes just absolutely vaunted and like an NBA-style defense. But, I mean, once again, I think that Syracuse has a good chance of being able to hold in there at minimum be able to cover the point spread at six and a half here against Houston if not win the game outright. Right now, we are with Greg Peterson from the Vegas Stats and Information Network and host of the Hooping with Hoops podcast as we are breaking down the Sweet 16 matchups as we get ready for the rest of the NCAA tournament this weekend along with the Elite Eight. Uh, Greg, uh, going to the East region here, uh, looking at uh, Florida State and Michigan. This looks like a really good matchup here. It looks like one of the better matchups. You know, grab your popcorn, make sure you're sitting on the couch for this one. Uh, But what do you think about this one? Is Florida State... I got an edge because Michigan's still, you know, dealing with some injuries. What do you think about this matchup? I think that Florida State should be able to win this game outright because with Florida State, they've just got so much length and size. When you take a look at this Florida State team, they do have a bunch of guys that do a great job of being able to guard the perimeter. Their defense has been very good here in the NCAA tournament as well, while allowing fewer than 60 points in both of their games. You mentioned the injury concerns with Michigan. Isaiah Livers looks like if he does wind up playing, he's going to be very, very limited. And with Michigan, this is a 
shoot it well from three-point range, but I think that Florida State is going to be able to do a good job of being able to mess with the rhythm of that offense. And when you take a look at Florida State as well, they've got a six-foot-eight point guard in Scotty Barnes that has an assist-to-turnover ratio of two. It's just hard to guard a guy that is six-foot-eight and is able to handle the ball like that. And Florida State, they themselves shoot 40% from three-point range. I like the way that they're coming into this game. They're just that, I guess you could call it, all-airplane team, whatever you want to call them, in which you just have a bunch of guys that are just so athletic, so long. I think that that's just going to be a little bit too much for Michigan to overcome. So I do think that Florida State pulls the upset. Looking at UCLA and Alabama on the other side of that one, UCLA, overtime away from not being even in the tournament. I mean, they were, but they were in the first four, that battle with Michigan State. Uh, But what do you think about this matchup, UCLA getting all the way here uh, to take on Alabama? I'll step out on a limb and say that if Alabama is at least 15 threes in this game, they're going to win much like they did against Maryland. But, I mean, you take a look at this Alabama team. They do such a good job of having a variety of options. They're able to shoot it from three. You've got four guys that really give you 10 plus points per game and really bury their threes. Jaden Shackelford, John Petty Jr. You've also got another guy that comes off the bench in Alex Reese that's been able to do a good job along with Herbert Jones. Josh Primo has been able to give you a little bit of something as well. And then you've got Javon Quinterly. So you've got just a wide variety of options. All these guys are able to shoot it from three. And for UCLA, they did get a little bit of a gift drive run. I did mention that I felt like BYU was a little bit overseeded as a sixth. And then you wind up getting the 14 seed at Abilene Christian, and that was just a terrible matchup for Abilene Christian. You do have a good point guard in Tiger Gamble that doesn't turn the ball over, but with UCLA, they rank 199th in the country when it comes to three-point shooting defense. Alabama's a D that they really hang their head. I'll be able to shoot from the outside with the UCLA as well. They don't necessarily have a lot of size down low to be able to get a bunch of rebounds and really do a south job there. So I think that this is just a bad matchup for the Bruins. I think that Alabama should be able to roll in this game quite handily. What about UC, USC and Oregon, a Pac-12 matchup? I know USC got the edge earlier in the season. Uh, does, this is one that's really tough for me because it feels like both teams are coming into this one hot. I do feel so as well, and this is one in which I just default to the better coach in this spot. I really feel like the better coach is Dana Altman. The man is a wizard when it comes to college basketball. I mean, he was able to get that 2017 Oregon team to the Final Four when they were without Chris Boucher. We're seeing what he's doing in the NBA right now. In 2019, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, they wound up having to win the Pac-12 tournament just to make the NCAA tournament. They go to the Sweet 16, and they very nearly knock off the national champ in Virginia. Andy Enfield has done a good job with USC, and they're going to have the advantage down low with the Mobley brothers. But with USC, you've got five different guys that all give you at least 10 points per game and all shoot at least 35.5% from three. Four of those guys give you four and a half rebounds per game. I like their balance. And last time these two teams wound up hooking up, USC got off to a 17-0 run. And after that, Oregon actually wound up outplaying USC in that game. Keep in mind, in that first contest, Will Richardson, one of the heart and soul members of this backcourt of Oregon, was coming back from injury. You can tell that the offense was a little bit out of sorts while he was trying to reacclimate himself. Now they're firing all cylinders. I like the recent form of Oregon. I'm going to be taking them in this spot. Greg, uh, the other two, other games I know we'll talk about here in a second, but at the same time, I want to get your thoughts because for me, after watching at least the first two rounds, I know Oklahoma gave Gonzaga uh, a fight in the first half, but it just feels like the Zags and Baylor felt like they were, uh, I don't want to say a cut above, but they were slightly above everybody else, even the good teams in this Sweet 16. What do you think about what you've seen from both Baylor and Gonzaga to this point? I really like what I've seen out of Gonzaga. This is a team that they're just rolling their fire and all cylinders. They didn't even play their best game against Oklahoma. 
still won by 16 points. I mean, they are hands down the number one team in college basketball, and Baylor's hands down the number two team in college basketball. They've got a stout defense. We saw them turn over a Wisconsin team that they just don't turn the ball over in general. They rank number one, Baylor does, in all of college basketball when it comes to three-point shooting percentage, and those guards just have so much size and strength. I think it's going to be really tough for any team to not Gonzaga and Baylor in collision course to a possible national title matchup. My featured guest is Greg Peterson from the Vegas Stats and Information Network and host of Hooping with Hoops podcast. Greg, if they want to follow your work and catch your latest episodes, how can they do that? You're able to find my podcast, Hooping with Hoops. That's the word hooping. Just take off the G on the end. So H-O-O-P-I-N with Hoops. You're able to follow that on wherever you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn. And then you're able to find that on my Twitter feed as well, at GUnit underscore 81. And then I'm on the Vegas Edson Information Network pretty much every night in which there is college basketball action. That is typically 11 to midnight mountain time. You might find me as well 10 to 11 p.m. mountain time. But I'm going to be there pretty much every single day in which we have college basketball action. And for all that, at GUnit 41 on Twitter. Greg, really appreciate the time. Really appreciate the insight as well. You have a great rest of your night. Look forward to chatting with you again soon. Always great to be out with you, Anthony. Thank you. Great stuff there with Greg Peterson from the Vegas Stats and Information Network. Always appreciate his insight. Like I said, folks, that man is just an encyclopedia when it comes to college basketball. Coming up next year on the Knock On Sports, we'll turn our attention to Montana sports betting, the odds, all those great things for the NCAA tournament this weekend. Next.